0: I know Spain is not as different from the United States as say Japan or um, let's say Morocco or let's say um, somewhere in the Middle East, but but for me it was definitely a big culture shock for me. It was very, very different and um, I learned so much.
1: That's the flamenco dancer, Melinda Hedgecourt. I'm Jamie Green, and this is Trading Fours. Hey everyone, welcome back to Trading Fours. I hope you're doing well. I'm just back from a whirlwind trip to my hometown of Lincoln, Nebraska. Big milestone in my family, we took our oldest child, Will, up there to begin college. And there's a lot of emotions, obviously, especially with COVID going on, but I think parents all know that this day will come sometime in their life, that someday they're not going to be a child anymore, that your baby you brought into the world will someday be an adult and be out on their own with their own dreams and ambitions. And that's a good thing. It's part of life. You know, I think a lot of what makes life enjoyable and interesting is taking those milestone steps, venturing out into the unknown and embracing a new place. Whether it's a college, a new city, or in the case of Melinda Hedgecourt, my guest today, an entirely new continent in a country that speaks a different language. You see, Melinda was born right here in Kansas City and raised here, but after a short stint in Seattle after college, she decided to give Seville, Spain a go, where she followed her passion. Flamenco dancing. Okay, true confession. I know nothing about dancing. My wife will vouch for this. (laughs) I play guitar in a band, remember? I make music so others can dance. But, you know, I really feel in order to grow in life, you need to listen to others' experiences and generally be curious about their passions. So I was thrilled when Melinda reached out to talk about her 11 years in Spain. And before we get started, a special shout out to her duo partner, Bo Bledsoe, who's playing the guitar that you're hearing right now for both the opening and closing of this episode, so you'll get a taste of the flavor of flamenco. Uh, Bo's great, man. This is awesome. It's a beautiful style of music. It's a beautiful dance art form, and I really enjoyed learning about it. So let's get started. Time for some new milestones in your life, people. Here's my conversation with Melinda Hedgecourt. Well, thanks so much for joining me. The first thing I think we need to do is, I think most Americans in their head have an idea of what flamenco is. They have a visualization of a woman in a nice long dress with her hair in a bun. And they, but let's actually define what makes flamenco dance, what is it that actually makes it flamenco?
0: Okay, well, flamenco is very specifically from the south of Spain. Um, it's not from any other Spanish-speaking country. So that's that's important to understand. Um, and the south of Spain is sort of a, a cradle for all kinds of civilizations that pass through there. So flamenco, is, flamenco music has so many different um, influences to it. Um, and then in the 19th century is when it kind of crystallized as the flamenco that we know today, which is with singing. Guitar and dancing—that's what makes it flamenco. If you have just one aspect, it can still be flamenco, but it's not nearly as full or as rich as when these three different parts come together. Even when, like, really well-known solo flamenco guitarists go on tour, mm-hmm. um, usually they'll bring a dancer along and a singer along. They'll they'll play some solo music, but then in the end, they usually bring the three elements together because that's I don't know. That's when it, it really fulfills what, what we expect flamenco is. So a lot of people think that maybe I'll dance with other people on stage. They think maybe I'll dance with a man or that it's a partner dance. Um, it's not that way at all. My partners are definitely the musicians. And having live music for flamenco is really key to, to it being flamenco. Dancing to a tape is, it's, it's really not flamenco.
1: Right, and I I think that a lot of people know this, but probably not everybody knows this. Um, you know, I've played guitar for God thirty five years now, but uh, that the guitar came from Spain. That's where it all started for guitar. Right?
0: The guitar from came from Spain, and the guitar is an ancestor. Uh, or the the oud is an ancestor of the guitar. Um, and that comes from the north of Africa. So that just gives you another idea of some of the elements that come into play. In flamenco definitely when i was living in the the south of spain um people would say well it's not really the south of spain it's the north of africa because the roots that the ties are so deep there and we still have the architecture the food we still use some of the words in 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 spanish that come from the moors so um yeah all that history is is still a really vibrant part of the culture and therefore of flamenco and of the guitar
1: in, a, in some ways, they were the original, well, not the original, but they're a precursor of the melting pot that America is, right? So like you said, I mean, how far is it from Gibraltar, Gibraltar easy for me to say, uh, to the North African coast? It's not very far distance-wise. It's Do you not know? very
0: far at all. You can take a boat across, and actually from the the very tip of Spain, you can see Africa.
1: Okay. Yeah, so it's yeah. that's real close. So you have that whole influence, and obviously from when I took Spanish. Thousands of years ago, that the the Moorish was such a huge part that you know the, the Muslim. It's not only just the the language, but the architecture. And there's tons of influences. And then, I don't know how many people know. With Spain, it's not just one kind of Spanish. That there's different dialects, and there's different parts of Spain that think that they're different countries. Correct, right? I, am I getting that correct too?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, mostly in the north, you've got some some different some different cultures that speak different languages. Um, and in the south, it's it's just the accent that's a little bit different. Um, they speak with a theta, right? With a th a lot. Um, they take off a lot of the endings of their words and bempaka, right? Um, yeah, it's it, it it there's a video I've watched that's sort of like a joke based on that. Like this is how you speak Andalu. Right? right from Andalusia, not spanish but andalu
1: <laughs> right so let's back up a little bit melinda let's talk about you first growing up let's talk about you growing up in kansas city uh, tell me a little bit about that how you first got into dance and why you decided to go to spain
0: um well when i grew up i was always interested in dance and performance i would often entreat my brother and my cat to be part of my shows that I would put on for my parents, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I always wanted to dance ballet from the time I was very little, before I even really knew what it was. um, The idea really appealed to me. Um, But my body type does not go well with ballet. I'm not flexible enough. I don't turn out enough. And um, it was kind of an uphill battle even though I did it for a really long time um when i got to university at umkc I, I was a dance major and there i was introduced to a lot of different kinds of dance that i didn't have the opportunity to know when i was younger so i was introduced to modern dance i was introduced to flamenco as well um, with tamara carson um, and that really opened up a lot of doors for me um, when i very first started learning about flamenco actually i, I really disliked it we would do it at like nine o'clock on Wednesday mornings. You can imagine, you're your university, you're going to class, you're playing castanets at nine o'clock in the morning. Maybe you drank too much the night before or something. You know, it's just, right? It's not a good feeling, <laughs> and so <laughs> it, it was not my favorite class. Um, and I took it for a whole year, kind of feeling that way about it, like, oh man, I have to go to this place. And then on the last day of class that year, we had to take two years. Um, Tamara showed us a video and it was of these older people um, doing um, flamenco but more of a folk dance that's related to flamenco there were older people there in the street they were missing some of their teeth you know and but the way that they were dancing was wonderful and I was like this is nothing like what we are doing (laughs) what is this this to me is is super interesting i like this you know and after i showed a little bit of interest tamara invited me to the adult flamenco class that they would do in the evenings and that was a lot more related to what um these older people were doing in the street and so from then um i got i got a lot more into it I, i really liked it we would do little local performances around town Um, And then after I graduated, I moved to Seattle. And I kept on taking classes there from some people. Um, But I still had a very limited idea of what flamenco was. If, If anyone can imagine, it's hard to imagine these days, but imagine an art form from another country, and you don't have YouTube. Right. You're only source for this is your teacher and you have to believe everything they say because you have no idea outside of what they say what it looks like or, or what it is like so the first time that i went to spain it was revolutionary i mean when i went i i didn't really i mean i didn't speak the language um i had never been outside of the country before i went by myself um how old were you I t- how old was i mm-hmm. let's see i was probably 23 or 24 i would say yeah. um what's that
1: i just said yeah that's just like that's the time where you like really kind of branch out right as a, you're an adult and you want to kind of get your wings and explore so that makes sense
0: yeah it was it was i was and it was funny because i never thought growing up that i would ever leave the country it just never occurred to me to want to i had friends who traveled a lot because my close friend her dad was a uh, worked for the airlines and so she was going everywhere australia and for me i was just like ah you know it was never anything it just never occurred to me living in the middle of country that i would ever want to go somewhere else i just i didn't really think about it at least not a foreign country and when i went there um it was i know spain is not as different from the united states as say japan or um let's say morocco or let's say um somewhere in the middle east but but for me it was definitely a big culture shock for me it was very very different and um I learned so much. The first time I went, I stayed three months, and I learned so much about flamenco in that time that before I had no idea about. I mean, my teacher in Seattle was very much like, it's like this, and if you don't do it like this, it is not flamenco, right?
1: Was she Spanish or an American?
0: She was American, but this um, age group, right, like the generation before me, they very much felt like they had to pretend like they were Spanish in order to be taken seriously.
1: Interesting.
0: And so, I mean, and this was everybody, Hey, dye your hair black, change your name. Um, this, this is what everybody did. And um, otherwise they, I guess they just felt like people wouldn't take them seriously. Luckily, slowly, this is starting to change and foreigners, people who are not Spanish, are starting to be taken a little more seriously in flamenco. Um, so when I went there and I saw my first show, it was this little guy named named Titi. Right, Titi was short. He was he was a short guy, and you know my teacher had been very specific about the hands and how many revolutions of the hand you do to, to a certain number of beats. I mean it was so specific. And if not, it it's it's not flamenco and it doesn't matter. Well. Titi this little guy how he danced is he would like throw his fists out in the air right and it was absolutely wonderful it was wonderful to see how he used his body and how he expressed himself and it was so I've never seen anyone dance like him it was so uniquely him and when I saw that I was like it touched me in a way that I had never felt seeing the dancers again we didn't have YouTube right we didn't have well it's the same
1: thing with musicians we have you know, we would hear about stuff, but we had no idea. Like, I couldn't see. If I wanted to see how Jimi Hendrix played at the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock, I had no way to look that up. I just had to read it in a book. Now, everything, that instant, I can look anything up, any performance that's ever been filmed, I can look at it and watch it. So, I, I it makes sense that it would be the same for cultural things or dance things or whatever, right?
0: Absolutely. It's so different for people now. Yeah. The learning process.
1: That instant gratification that, you know. <laughs> You'd watch a movie before and there'd be some actor and you're like, God, that actor or actress looks familiar, but you couldn't place what they were in." Well, you were just screwed. You weren't going to find out who it is. Now, my wife and I, if we watch a movie, we'll instantly Google who is this person and what were where, where did I have seen them before? It's just different, so.
0: It's so different. And I think people who didn't have, I think people who've always had that probably have a really hard time imagining how it was for us, like searching for these little gems of knowledge. Yep. No, it's yeah.
1: So I want to ask, and I think most people in Kansas City know this, but there's probably a few that don't. So let's talk about this that, uh, at Seville, as we say in America, or Sevilla in Spain, it's a sister city. Uh, so it's one of the sister cities of Kansas City. And, and J.C. Nichols, who I know right now is not looked upon in good favor for some of the bad things that he did. But one of the good things that he did uh, was that he went over there and saw S- Sevilla and loved it. And that's what the Country Club Plaza is based on. Um, so it's kind of funny that that's where you ended up. So talk to us a little bit about uh, Sevilla and your experiences there.
0: Okay. Well, it, it is pretty funny that I ended up there um, because actually that's, that's part of what my com- company is based on, um, which is 45 grados or 45 degrees Mm -hmm. um, based on how hot it routinely gets in Sevilla in the summer every day 45 degrees celsius minimum which is what
1: in fahrenheit for us americans that never learned the metric like 120 115. it's like
0: phoenix hot it's phoenix hot and it is a dry heat like phoenix okay so you can stand it but just but just barely yeah um so originally i had thought that i was going to go live in jerez actually which is a a smaller city to the south um but i had to go to sevilla to get um training to because when i went over there i was like i had some savings actually i had some savings from a car wreck (laughs) so i planned to go but i didn't really know how i was going to to finance um, this big trip because this was after I'd gone a few times. It'd been like five years of going on little, two three month stints, and I um, actually the 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 person that I was dating at the time had decided that he was going to go to Japan and teach English as a foreign language, and I was like, "You're gonna leave, and you know I'm gonna be here for like eight months. Like we lived together and everything." I was like, "Well." okay, I'm going to go do something to further myself. If you're just going to take off, like I'm going to go to Spain then for eight months. And then he ended up not going. And I remember he was like, so you're not going to Spain. Right. And I was like, I am so going to Spain. Like, forget (laughs) this, you know, careful what you wish for, buddy. Sorry. What's that?
1: (laughs) I said, be careful what you wish for, buddy. Right.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not going to change my plans at this point for anybody is where I was at. Right. And so um, I kind of followed his idea. I was like, okay, well, eight months is the goal. Um, I'll teach English as a foreign language because I didn't have any money. And then I got in this um, car wreck and um, it was, you know, it's always unfortunate when there's a car wreck, no one was was badly injured, I was a little bit injured, but I got enough money out of it that I actually could cover um, some of the time I was there because in the beginning, of course, I mean, I was there, um, you know, you're not really supposed to work unless you have a visa. <laughs> so the schools that I worked for, they would send me to the farthest corners of the city to give the classes. And so I didn't have enough time to teach enough and dance enough to to make enough money. I was I was going across town to one place, across town to another place. Um, the first eight months were so difficult. I cried all the time. My language skills were still not that great. Um, it was, it was super difficult and I ended up staying in Sevilla and not going to Jerez because that's where I did my, um, teach English as a foreign language training. And it seemed like at least I knew my way around. At least I had a friend now that I could have be a flatmate and save some of the the money on a place to live you know so i ended up staying and then after eight months the the president at the time zapatero he passed a law saying anybody who's been here and sort of you know working illegally or whatever um if you can get a good job with a proper contract i will let you i will let you stay and i will legalize everything you've done and I didn't really think at the time very much of it when I first heard about it. And then I went to, there was a, a lawyer um, for foreigners who offered her services. Um, I think she was paid by the state. She offered her su- services free to us. We would wait in line like two hours to see her. Couldn't make an appointment ahead of time. Um, and when I went to see her about something else, she, she told me about this. And I was like, oh, I've kind of heard about this, you know, and she was like, you should do it and you should do it now, like run, go. Like she was like, the offer's about to end. Like this is an incredible opportunity. Like you need to do this. And I, I felt kind of ambivalent about staying, but at her urging, I was like, well, why wouldn't I try? Like, it's so hard for an American to get a work visa. Like I should at least try at the very least. And then if it doesn't work out, I have nothing to lose. So the first time they said no, And I applied with um, a Moroccan guy who also worked at the same place as me. And they said yes to him. And so I went to the Defensor de Pueblo, the Public Defender's Office, who was in tight with my boss. I was pretty lucky about that. He was wonderful to me, helped me so much. He helped me draft the letter saying, you have to accept me because these are the rules and this is how I complied with every single thing you asked for. So you can't say no and the second time they said yes and i got a work visa and then i stayed 14 years
1: <laughs> wow that's quite a that's quite a shift right in your life that's you know did you uh, how did your parents take it were they okay with you flying off well you know halfway around the world and not coming back for 14 years I, I, as a, as a parent myself <laughs> i'd have very mixed feelings about that i mean i'd be thrilled for the opportunity for my child but i'd also be you know sad that they were going to be so far away
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they were mainly sad when I moved to Seattle because that was already pretty far away. But actually when I lived in Sevilla, the the first two years I couldn't come home because my paperwork was kind of in flux. But after that, I would come for two whole months and that was actually a longer visit than when I lived in Seattle, which would be maybe two weeks spread out during the year. Mm -hmm. So after that, then they were okay, because they were like, well, we see her pretty often, you know, I mean, not often, but for a long amount of time when she comes.
1: Right. Well, that makes sense. Uh, So what do Americans get wrong about Spain?
0: Let's see. Um, It's probably a long list. (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of things. I mean, Spain is not Mexico. Yeah, That's important <laughs> I'm to gonna... realize they, they do yeah. not eat tacos, oh, they God. do not have spicy food, oh. you know, the food is, is Mediterranean. Um, I would say it's more closely to related to what you might find maybe in Greece than what you might find in Mexico, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's sad that
1: you have to say that, but that doesn't surprise me, unfortunately. Uh... Yeah,
0: I mean, people, unless they have a personal experience with something, I think it's hard to know. And and I completely understand because before I went to Spain, I remember the little shows we would do around town and where we would perform is places like um, Italian Fest. Right. Right? Because there were so few opportunities when there were a lot of different cultures from outside of the United States doing things that, that whatever came up, whatever kind of festival that had something to do with other countries, it's like we would try to perform there. So I go to restaurants and they say it's a Spanish restaurant and they have a few Spanish dishes, but then they have tacos. <laughs> so I kind of understand why, why people get confused.
1: Well, I think part of it, um, and it's a tough time in this country right now, I think the fact that we are so isolated by having two huge oceans but above- Americans don't have a really good idea. Well, you know, like when you were in Spain, for instance, if you wanted to go to France for the weekend, you could go to France in a weekend. I mean, the distances are close enough, right? Um, When I, last time I, uh, when I was up in Scotland, we took a train down to London for a weekend. Like you can do that, whereas you're so far away. Now that's a big part of it. And travel is a lot more expensive when you have to go over oceans to get to. But part of it too is Americans kind of are insular. and think America's the greatest place on the planet. Why should I know anything about anywhere else? And, and I think that's it's, it's a terrible shame that you can learn from any culture. Um, and certainly the Spanish culture is a long, long, co- I mean, probably most Americans don't know that the, you know, the Romans were in Spain for a very long time too. So anyway, so that's kind of interesting. So let's, ta- let's talk a little bit about, it. so did you teach the whole time you were there? Did you teach and dance? What was the, what's a common day for you for that period of your life?
0: Well, I did, I did a few different jobs. In the beginning, I taught English. Um, and then once I had an opportunity to become legal, I worked at uh, Tablao. So Tablao is like a, a place where flamencos performed mostly for tourists, but you can find quality flamenco. And actually, I was really lucky because the place that I worked had really high quality flamenco. So I was working behind the desk. I was like selling tickets. I was talking to people in Spanish and English, um, trying to get them to come to the performance that night. Um, and the artists that I got to meet there were just absolutely incredible. So kind, so talented, and. So they wouldn't let me in where the show was while the show was going on, but they wanted somebody to kind of make sure, I don't know, that something's not going wrong, that everybody has what they need. So they would, they would tell me, like, you stand outside the door and you look through this little hole and you make sure that everything's okay. And that's what I did um, six nights a week for five years. They wouldn't, they wouldn't give me two nights off. I had to work six nights a week, For five years, I did that, and so I saw one, two, or three flamenco performances every night for five years by incredible professionals, and at one point, you know, and some of them I took lessons from, and at one point, one of them even started, like, calling me out on stage to dance a little bit at the end, and then others did that sometimes, too. Um, something called fin de fiesta where they kind of do something to wrap up the show and everybody does a little something and in fin de fiesta it's not abnormal to call people from the audience or your friend over there you know so sometimes they would call me out and I would try out a little something and sometimes it went well and sometimes it didn't you know when you're learning that's how it is
1: but it's trial by fire
0: Oof! for me in Spain that's absolutely what it was the first time I performed. It was, um, we were so scared, you know, I did it with one other other girl who I was friends with and um, the rehearsal went very badly. The rehearsal, we practiced <laughs> one time, right before the show. Right. Um, it went really badly, but the, the guitarist was amazing. George, Jordi Flores, I'll never forget him, he was amazing. And the rehearsal went badly because of us, not because of him. Right. But during the show, he, I mean, and most flamenco guitarists are this way. He, he just, he can, he can see where you're going with things and he, he can accompany you and it's, um, it's such an exchange. And, and it went wonderfully. Now at the second, the third time, not so good, but the first time it was just, when we finished, we were just ecstatic, it was, it was wonderful.
1: That's great. Well, as a guitarist, I, when we're done, you're going to have to send me an email and send me like your top five Flamenco guitarists. Cause I'm always interested okay. in learning. I love, I mean, I love listen. I don't listen to just rock and roll. I love jazz and I love classical and I love lots of things. So that would be great. So why did you come back home?
0: Um, well, so after I quit the tablao, Um, I started teaching English again, and then, but the the whole time that I was working, the emphasis was always flamenco, so I had my day job, but I would spend just as much time as I was working my day job um, in classes, in the studio practicing by myself, in the studio practicing with a guitarist, doing shows around town, um, in, in tablaos or in peñas, which are flamenco clubs. I got some, some good opportunities, which was wonderful. Um, but then I got an opportunity to run a language academy, which was going to offer some financial stability, which up until that point I had never had. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll go ahead and try it. Um, it, was, it was a very good job but it started eating up more and more and more of my time. And even though I feel like I was good at that job, it's not the job that I wanted to do. I wanted to dance flamenco. So I did that job like the last seven years I was there. And the longer I worked there, the bigger the school grew. Then we had three locations. I had more responsibilities. And at one point I was just like, I'm not happy. Um, I don't want to be doing this anymore, that the crisis came, right? The housing crisis, which came to Spain later than the U.S. and lasted longer. And so when that happened, a lot of my performing opportunities went away because there still is sort of a a hierarchy with foreigners who dance flamenco and Spaniards who dance flamenco. And so the places where I was performing, um, a lot of them were both for foreigners and, and Spanish people would perform there but then when there started being less work all around for everybody concerned, the work started going to mostly Spanish people. Um, Plus, things change really fast in those places. So maybe I have a contact who gets me gigs at that place, but then the person who does the programming there changes. Well, if I'm not out every night meeting people, going to shows, making those contacts, um, then you, you lose them and then it's hard to get to perform in these places. And um, working my job like I was, I just wasn't able to, to stay in touch. So my performance opportunities started getting less and less and less. I started having less time to practice. I started not being able to have time to take the classes I really wanted to take. And then it just started to feel like, why am I here if I can't do these things? Those are the things, that's the reason why I'm here. And if I can't even do them, What's the point? Um, in the meantime, Bo Bloodso, who has been my flamenco musical partner for m- more, more than twenty years, probably at least thirty years, um, had been doing things here. We'd been doing things each summer when I came to visit, and he was always very encouraging about um, opportunities. And so then my husband and I decided, let's let's go to the United States and and let's let's do what we want there. Let's, I'll try to dance flamenco. And um, my husband plays guitar, but he likes like blues. Okay. He likes pop, he likes rock, he likes soul. He you and know, I should um, hang out then apparently. Yeah. So for him to come here too was also like, he could, instead of being a, a big fish in a small pond here, he was going to be the small fish in the big pond, and you know we could go see. We've already gone to see. I mean, before COVID, luckily we got to see some performers that would have never come to to Sevilla. That have always been people he's been interested in, you know. And they came to Kansas City, and so that so that did, was wonderful to be. Able who to does see he those.
1: love? Who does he love? Who did he get super excited to get to see?
0: I mean, BB King has always been a big influence for him, mm-hmm. right? Um, Peter Green,
1: yeah, Peter yeah. Just, Peter just died,
0: yeah, he's someone who he treasures,
1: yeah, a lot of people don't know that the Santana song, Black Magic Woman that's actually a Peter Green song that was a actually a Fleetwood yeah. Mac song first
0: oh wow i I didn't know that either,
1: yeah, and a little music trivia, I just threw it in right there, yeah. So now yeah. you, you, you can use that with him and he'll be like, oh my God, my wife, she understands me so much. She knew that.
0: <laughs> yeah, he'll like that. He'll appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, sure.
1: So, well, yeah, that's great. Well, it's there's so many great American guitarists, right? Uh, not just yes. rock and blues, jazz guitarists. There's amazing jazz guitarists too. So that's great. So uh, how long have you been back? In so I've
0: been back almost exactly two years.
1: What a great time to come back to America!
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It's been so crazy. It's been so crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet for him too, right?
0: Yeah, it's been it's been very up and down for sure. Moments of of new things and excitement and um, feeling unbelievably lucky, and then moments of just. I don't know, a little bit depressing, stressful. Um, and, you know, we're still kind of waiting to see how this is all going to pan out. Yeah. No, like everybody.
1: Yeah. I mean, every, every, every interview I do, because uh, mostly I've been talking to working musicians and, you know, their entire life construct was blown to bits, it went away. Um, and if you're someone whose entire livelihood depends upon that, uh, that's really hard and I think you know everybody like you and I right now this is nice to do this on zoom and it's certainly it'd be a hell of a lot more fun to do it in person um, and yeah. that's and it's certainly a performer whether you're a guitar player or a dancer it you you feed off the crowd that mm-hmm. interaction that energy that you get from a crowd um, that can't be replicated on a live stream it just can't and I think everybody's missing that and it, it's hard so. I can totally see that Um, so folks that want I saw I looked I I don't stock too much but I did look at your Facebook page a little bit so it looks like you have some sort of classes let's I know you gave it and my my Spanish my worst class in high school is Spanish I'm not even going to try to repeat that but so tell people how they can follow you and where they can look you up and what are you doing teaching folks
0: Okay, well, I've got some, I've got a new session of classes starting up. The studio is in Lawrence, Kansas, but we will have classes online as well. Um, Those classes will be for absolute beginners and then people with some experience. Um, Then in September, I'll be starting a new session in Shawnee, Kansas at Viva Dance um it's a studio but i have my own classes there and there will be having beginners as well and then higher level um again also online so i've got students from minneapolis i've got students from um, seattle so it's pretty cool i've got people in the studio limited numbers not very many we all wear masks right and then i have the computer on with zoom happening Um, You can find out about any of those at my website, which is 45 grados flamenco, um, which you can just say it's 45 um, grados, G-R-A-D-O-S, flamenco. Um, You can also see I'm working on organizing a flamenco drive-in, hopefully in the midtown Kansas City area, as well as in Topeka. And um, you drive in in your car and you get to watch some flamenco and um, that'll be with blood. So, and I think that'll be a really good time.
1: That would be great. I've, I've played several shows in parking lots in 2020. So that's, oh yeah, that's the new normal. I mean, we won't do indoor gigs. We've been offered indoor gigs. We won't do them. Um,
0: Yeah.
1: Both myself and my singer are in our early fifties now and it's just not worth it. It's just, you know. Yeah. Um so I actually was one of my very early guests was a guy named Brock Alexander. He's in a really great blues band, the old number fives. So your husband should totally check them out. He's really good.
0: Okay. I was at
1: okay. BB's Lawnside Barbecue and you know, sitting in my
0: awesome.
1: lawn chair with my wife for two hours out in their parking lot just Saturday night. So um Yeah. That's it. That's great. So I'll be sure to put in the show notes how people can do that, follow you, find these live classes. and t- you know, My wife loves to dance. She'll probably be all for this, and that would be great. And I, okay. I really appreciate the time. I, it's so cool to hear about Americans that travel and get to see other cultures. I think that's something that I wish we could all do a lot yeah. more. I think it makes me more empathetic for the world and less so centered on just yourself and your country. So that's great. So I I really appreciate the time. I'm glad you reached out and uh, I'll be sure to uh, let people know about things and and let me know uh, when you're doing this and maybe I can come out to the Drive-It.
0: That would be awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for all you do to um, get artists out there and, and talking about what they do. Appreciate
1: that. Thanks so much. It was so nice to meet you. You have a good day. It's
0: so nice to meet you too. Thank you, you too.
1: melinda hedgecourt everyone learned a lot on that one man talk about not knowing much (laughs) that would be me when it comes to dancing but that's such a cool thing what i'm always really really appreciative of people that branch out and take risk and don't stay in their safe space and, and take on a new adventure and you know hats off to melinda for doing that and it's neat that she's back in the states now with her husband and I certainly am uh, was serious when I said I'd like to go and see her at one of the drive-in shows. That'd be great. So uh, that's it for this episode of Trading Fours. But next time, we're going back to what I do know something about. Rock and roll, people. I've got Pete Jones from the band Headspace joining me next time. Headspace is a band out of Manhattan, Kansas. They've got a new album out. So we're going to talk all about that new rock and roll album. And what they're up to. How they're handling shows. If they're handling shows, I don't know. We'll find out. Um, so join me for that. It'll probably be up here in the next three or four days. I've actually got a bunch of shows coming up, so look forward to that. And uh, if you got nothing to do, my band, the Mighty Thunder Jacket, is playing this uh, Saturday, August 22nd. What used to be Papa Kinos, but now is known as Buffalo State Pizza. Uh, my buddy Philippe owns it. It's a great place. And we're going to do the 90s MTV Unplugged show outside right in front of downtown overland park come out we'll be there for two hours 6 30 30 we don't ever have a cover so it's a free show come out eat some pizza sit out on the deck listen to some music forget the world's on fire be good for you so uh until then we'll talk real soon go out and support live music bye-bye